comfort do you have you this morning? And I just want to encourage everybody here and those watching by live stream, say with me, two-minute, come on, two-minute missionary. You can be a two-minute missionary, take the stream and share it on your page, and God will use this stream and to reach people who need to hear it. So just share the stream, and you can be a two-minute missionary this morning. Well, we're doing a series on uh, becoming, and it's all about... Uh, in this circumstance, in their situation, there's a lot of things that you could be right now. You could be negative. You could be hopeless. You could be fearful. And we want to encourage you to be some things that the Lord has created and called you to be. And so last week was be faithful. And this week we're going to talk about being positive. Be positive. Right? The Bible would probably put it this way. Be hopeful. So what we would translate as a positive attitude, the Bible would look at it in a hopeful way. And so hope is actually the bet is where faith comes from hope. And so without hope, faith is almost impossible. So we want to be faithful, but we also want to be positive and we also want to be um, hopeful. Say this with me, right? I'm going to program you. So you trying to program me? Yes, I am. Yeah. Yeah. People go, you Christians are brainwashed. I always tell them everybody's brainwashed. I just choose who washes my brain. Okay. Jesus washes my brain. We're all, everybody is influenced by something somewhere. No one's, nothing's original to you. There's some influences from coming to you from somewhere, but we want to get the right things in our head and we want to think the right way. And in our hearts, we want to think the right way. So say this with me, a negative outlook. Oh, you need to hear this. A negative outlook never produces a positive life. That's right. You need to hear yourself saying that. A negative outlook never produces a positive life. Proverbs 13, 15 says this. A hopeful and happy heart makes the face cheerful. Right? If you have a hopeful and a happy heart, it's going to even come out of you. It's going to come forward out of you. This word happy in that verse, in the Greek, it is, it's written in what's called decisive tense, which means intentional. It means it's a decision. Say it with me. It's my decision. To be positive. That's right. You have a choice. You have a choice to be positive. You have a choice to be negative. Jesus will do a lot of things, but he will never encroach upon your decisions and upon your choices. You have free will. God loves you so much, he gave you free will. Not just free will to love him and accept him and follow him, but you have free will over your own life. You have free will. There's many things in this world you cannot control. Right? We can't control a lot. And what's happening now is it's being proven to us that there's very little that we can control. But what we can control is probably the most important thing in our, in our life, and that is our attitude. We can control our attitude. Your attitude determines your altitude. It's true. Absolutely true. Your altitude is the difference maker. Say, what does that mean? Let's say you're hiring someone, okay? Let's say you're, 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 you're a boss and you're hiring someone and all of the candidates are equal, but one has an amazing attitude. Everybody else is equal, but there's one that just stands out with an amazing attitude. Who are you going to hire? Are you going to hire Debbie Downer, you know, or Larry Loser? Are you going to hire the guy who seems to have a pot or the woman who has a positive energy and a hopeful perspective and eagerness about them? Are you going to hire a problem or are you going to hire a solution? That's really the question. You understand? So your attitude is the difference maker. If you want a winning edge, if you want to put it that way, we'll put it in business terms. If you want a winning edge, your attitude is the difference maker. All things being equal, your attitude will make the difference. Your attitude is a choice. Say this. I cannot 
change my life without changing my attitude. That's right. You will never change your life if you don't change your attitude. If you want what, say this with me. I'm going to help you out. We're going to get, we're going to get charged here this morning. If I want what I've never had, I must do what I've never done. That's right. Einstein said the level of our current thinking is not sufficient to answer the problems that are presented before us. In other words, if we're going to solve the issues and the problems that are in front of us, we have to change the way that we think. We've been doing the same thing over and over again, but we're expecting different results. It's not going to happen. If you keep doing the same thing over and over again and expecting something to change, it's not going to change. I just watched a show last night on Thomas Edison and just how many times, over 10,000 times, I don't even know, I think I might even be underestimating it, but we'll be safe. 10,000 times with the light bulb, he failed over and over and over again. And do you know how he succeeded? By changing. He kept changing. He didn't take the same filament with the same bulb and the same wattage and the same voltage and keep doing it over and over and over again and expecting that bulb to somehow light up. When the bulb failed and it failed consistently, they moved on, they changed, they changed, they changed, they changed. And another one of his attitudes is he refused to quit because he knew it was possible. He knew this was possible. He knew that this could be done. But the only way he could get there was to not just experiment, but not quit. Interesting. Romans 12, 1, 12, 11 says, do not be lagging in diligence. In other words, don't be lazy. Ouch. Ouch. Be fervent in spirit. In other words, have some passion. Serve the Lord. This is one of my favorite verses of all time, Romans 12, 12. If I ever write anything to you, chances are I'm going to put Romans 12, 12 on it. And what does it say? Here it is. Rejoice with hope. So let me just pause on this for a second because hope is where the positivity is, what I'm talking about. But rejoice, joy and rejoice are, two, are the same thing, but there's a different emphasis on it. When you have joy, you're like, hey, I'm just joyful. You know, joyful, good things are happening. I'm joyful. Joy is inside. Happiness is based on external circumstances, but joy, you just feel overwhelming joy. A child is born. You feel joy. You're getting married. You're just so joy. It's not even happiness. You just feel so full. You experience Jesus. You feel joy. But the word rejoice is different than joy. Rejoice says, if you don't have joy, go find it. That's what it's telling you to do. Rejoice. Do it again. Go back and find joy. Is there anything that you can find joy in? That's what the word rejoice means. It's not just joy. It's joy when you don't have joy. So rejoice is joy when you don't have joy. And again, it's telling you, if you don't have joy, go find it. Is there anything good in your life? Find joy. Has Jesus ever done anything for you? Get happy. Has Jesus ever helped you before? Then get hopeful because he'll do it again. Whatever God has done before, he'll do again. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. He will help you. You're not a beggar. If you're in Christ, you're not a beggar. So it tells you to rejoice in hope. Do you see why this verse means a lot to me? Because I tell myself all the time, Kevin, go find joy. Right? There's a thousand reasons to be down. There's a thousand reasons to be negative. If you want a reason to be negative, you're going to... Don't worry. Don't you dare worry. You'll you'll get one. But you have to find joy. You have to be intentional about finding joy. You have to be able to find blessing even in the most challenging circumstances. And it's there. 
Because God will put it there. He will give you an opportunity to have joy even in challenges. Be patient in tribulation. Patience is your friend. Continue steadfastly in prayer. Help your brothers and sisters and be given to hospitality. You know, how, you know this word? I love this. This is actually one of the requirements for ministry leadership. An elder in the church, which is those who direct the church spiritually, one of the commands on their life is to be given to hospitality. Which means you're hospitable even when you don't feel like it. Uh huh. So a leader or an elder in God's house has to be given to hospitality. Be kind to those who don't want, who don't deserve kindness. Be hospitable and welcoming to those that really aren't your speed. You know, and you do it not because you're such a wonderful person. You do it because Jesus tells you to. But here Paul's telling all of us to be given to hospitality. Be gracious to those people who offend you. There's a lot of offense going around, isn't there? A lot of offense. Everybody's being offended. Offended, the word, the Bible, when the Bible uses the word offended, it means push away. That's what offense means. Push away. And so we get offended and we push away. Right? The Bible says be hospitable to the people that you want to push away. Ouch. Help your brothers and sisters. It's telling you to be kind. It's telling you to be hopeful. It's telling you to be positive. Patience is your friend because, say with me, the game is long. Everything God does, he does in the long version. Jesus is not, you know, quick your way and now. He's not like that. He's everything he does is in a long, is in long version. He creates the earth in six days. He could have did it in one. I tell people he didn't even have to do it with time. He could have done it from eternity, but he created time and then he did it within the framework of time. And he did it over six days. So what is he showing us here? That he doesn't, do ever, he doesn't do anything that quickly. He builds things upon themselves. And if you look at the story of creation, it's one thing building upon another. He creates the sun and the, uh, the sun, creates the form, formless and void. He creates the seas. He creates the land. He creates all of these things. And everything was built upon itself. And lastly, he created man. I love this. Day six, he created man. You know why? Well, number one, he's making it for us. All of creation's fallen, just so you know. The world's a beautiful place, but it's nothing like it was before man fell. So that's why there's all of this nonsense on our planet. But nonetheless, God created the earth for man. It's given for us. The second thing it tells us when we were made on the last day is Jesus doesn't really need your help. I did all this. Dude, I don't need you. You know? But he chooses to partner with you. He chooses to allow you to be a part of him. We think, well, God wants to be a part of my life. No, you want to be part of God's life. Because I'm telling you right now, God's life is way better than your life. I'll tell you that. So what he does is he invites us into his life. He invites us into his world. So it says, be patient. The game is long. One of the things that patience does, patience, what happens is they do stress tests on beams, building materials. I used to be a builder, so I'm really connected to this stuff, is that they do stress tests and they do weight ratings and all of these different things on building materials to see how that building product can be used in a building. So they'll stress test the beam and they'll say this beam is rated for this much weight. They'll stress test the pole and they'll say that pole is rated for this much weight. They'll fire rate the drywall. They'll test everything. Everything is tested. In, say it, it must, the material, come on, help me with this. The material must be tested before it can be used. You must be tested before God can use you. And so he puts you through tests. Eh? He puts you through different trials and he allows you to be tested in order to determine where he can use you. 
The Bible actually uses it. I think it's Peter. It says we're being built up into a spiritual house. We're all living stones being built into a spiritual house. So God's building a house. And his house is his family. And his house is his people. So you're being tested. This word patience, I like this word. Say it with me. You're going to speak Greek. Hypo meno. And it means to move while under pain. Huh? So we think patience, this is how we interpret patience in in America. Patience is sitting around twiddling our thumbs. Patience is pacing the floor looking at our watch. That's what we think patience is. The Greek word that's used here for patience is hypomeno. And it means the ability to move while under pain. And the image, the, image, the image on that is a marathon runner. So the Greeks would be very well acquainted with marathon. We get the word marathon from the Greeks, right? So they understood distance running. Anybody ever run marathons here? 5Ks, 10Ks, anything like that? Anybody? Yeah. You run under pain, don't you? It's not like you're running and you're just having this joyful, euphoric experience while you're running. You're running and probably before you, hit, you go through the wall is your first part is like, why am I doing this? Why am I torturing myself? Your ankles creaking, your knees are creaking, you got pain in your side, you're sweating. It's a grind. And that's what it says, hypomeno, being able. But there's something even about running that when you, you guys know, if you're a runner, you know what I'm talking about. You go through that wall. You know, you're running, you're running, you're running, and all of a sudden, boom, you just hit, you go through this wall. And now all of a sudden, you're gliding. It's different. So the Bible's using this word hypomeno, being able to move while under pain. So when it's telling you to be patient in the trial, it's saying move even if it's painful. Do what is right even if it's painful. Follow me even if it's painful. Stand even if it's painful. Believe even if it's painful. Move even if it hurts. Right? This is a word that we have to speak to a culture such as ours. I talk to Alex all the time, and he's tr- I'm trying to understand India a little bit because we're, we're working with that culture, and, and he's telling me all these different things about his culture. And there's some very positive things about his culture, but there's also some very negative things. But the thing that stands out to me the most is there's a lot of different things that's, that, that, that's in that culture that's in ours. In America, we prize comfort more than anything else in the world. We just prize comfort. Everything's luxury, right? Luxury. Premium. Premium cars, premium couches, premium televisions, premium watches, premium phones, premium haircuts, premium clothes. Everything's comfortable, right? The Bible doesn't put a premium on comfort. The Bible puts a premium on character, right? So when God is valuing it, he's not valuing people's comfort. He's valuing your character. He's looking for character. Hypomeno. Kevin, can you move while you're under pain? Can you do this while it feels like you're suffocating? When it feels like the whole world is collapsing on you? Are you able to move when I tell you to move while you're under fire? Are you able to do that? Because that's what I'm looking for you from to do. Hypomeno. Move while you're in pain. That's a word for somebody in this room. You need to learn to move while you're under pain. You feel pain and you sit down. Oh, I'm in pain. Oh, I'm in pain. Huh? That's not what God tells us to do. He tells you move while you're in pain. Go forward. Acts 26.2. This is a guy who's in chains. I quote this, this section all the time. This has been a huge part of me. And this is just stuff that drawn out of the, the, the vault here. Acts chapter 26, verse 2. Paul has been beaten, has been in prison, and he's in chains. And so he's awaiting to go to trial in Rome where he ultimately will be executed. So Paul is a prisoner... And he's ultimately going to go to Rome. But on his way to Rome, there's a king that wants to see him. And the guy's name is Agrippa. And they're like, oh, I hear you got Paul downstairs. Hey, bring him up. I want to talk to him. 
And so Paul comes up out of the prison in robes and chains, ching, 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 stands in front of a king looking shot out. And he looks at the king and he goes, I think myself happy, King Agrippa. He has every reason in the world to be negative. He has every reason in the world to complain. He has every reason in the world to abandon his faith and to give up. And what's his attitude? In the midst of circumstances that he can't control, he says, I think myself happy. It would do Christians a world of good if you began to think yourself happy. Say it. I need to think myself happy. Try it. Do you think yourself miserable? Do you think yourself pitiful? Do you think yourself lost? Do you think yourself hopeless? Think yourself happy. And Paul's like, why, am I, why, is he, why is he thinking himself happy? And he tells this whole story to the king. And he concludes it by this way. He says, the reason for my happiness, King Agrippa, is that I have been obedient to the heavenly vision. Hypomeno. I have moved with God even though it's been hurtful. I have moved with God even though I had no reason to. I have stayed the course and I have done what God has asked me to do even under duress. And I am grateful and I am happy because I have been true to the heavenly vision. You have to begin to make quality decisions to, say with me, be positive. In spite of the circumstances, in spite of the emotions, and here's a big one, in spite of the opinions of others. You have to be positive. Even when you're in a world that's not, it's not. It, it just isn't. We're in a world, most people, they put all these happy faces on the wall, right? I saw this, saw this done one time. So they put like a happy face, like a really happy face, a medium happy face, like a, a line that's straight. And then they start doing variations of frowns. And they ask people, which one do you most identify with? The overwhelming majority identified with the line straight. You know, the face with the line, the happy face with the, with the meh. So most people, if you say, which, which face do you identify the most with? They'll, they always do the meh, meh, indifferent, don't care, you know, no feeling. You have a world that is not by nature positive. You have a world that is not by nature um, hopeful. We have hope. And you have to realize there are, there's only, we are the only people on the planet who have hope. Do you, do you know that? Our hope is not a phantom hope. Our hope is a real hope. Our hope is an everlasting hope. God is for you. Have hope. Your future is brighter than your most painful past. Have hope. This isn't, God, listen, we, I'll give you another one. Everybody freaks out about how the world's going to end. We know how the world's going to end. Did you know that? As believers, we know how the world's going to end. It was like the world's ending. Who told you that? Is that what the Bible says? My daughter asks me all the time. And I just tell her, I'm like, nonsense, Mariah. She doesn't ask me anymore. But she tell me, what do you think, Dad? What do you think, Dad? I'm like, it doesn't mean anything. Just, just another wave across the earth. In a sinful planet. That's all it is. It's just another thing that's going to pass. Just another storm that's going to pass. I'll t- I, I told her, I said, there's some things, and I'll, we'll do a series on it another time. But there's, you know, when you see these things, Jesus tells us to pay attention when we see certain things. And so as long as I'm not seeing certain things, I really don't pay that much attention. Because I know how the world's going to end. The world's not going to end in an environmental catastrophe. It's not. It just isn't. The, the, the world's not going to end because the ozone layer fl- or the seas flooded the earth. It, there is no indication of that at all in the, Old Te- in, the New, in the New Testament. At all. 
Jesus tells us how it's going to end, and it's not environment. Do you not care about the environment? Of course I care about the environment. But I'm just telling you, we're all freaked out about things that have really no concern. And so for a believer to be afraid in an hour when we should not be afraid or concerned or anything like that, and I get it, you know, we, we, you know, precautionary actions by people, those things are necessary. But to be gripped and to be fearful and to be concerned and grieving as the world, the world's going to grieve. They're going to be negative. They're going to freak out because they don't know how the world, they don't believe Jesus is coming. They really don't. We know he's coming. Why do we know? Because he said so. He told us he's coming. He's going to leave us. He will not leave us orphans. He's going to come for us. He's going to take care of us. You don't have to worry. If you die today, happy day. I'm serious. Happy day. To, be, to live as Christ, to die is what? Gain. You win either way. Even if you lose, you win. That's this kingdom. You lose, you win. You cannot help but win. Oh, they killed the guy. Was he a believer? Happy day. Happy day. (laughs) The longer you live on this planet, the more you're looking at your watch going, are you coming soon, Jesus? You know, you're you're, you're wanting to leave. We should have hope. So I'm going to give you reasons to make quality decisions and be positive. And I'm going to talk to a lot of people at home and some people in the room here perhaps. But I'm going to give you eight reasons from Romans chapter 8 while you should be positive. The first one is an important one because in Christ, your sins are forgiven. Do you know that? In Christ, your sins are forgiven. Romans chapter 8 verse 1 says, There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, who do not walk according to the natural world, but walk according to the Spirit. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus makes us free from the law of sin and death. Your sins are forgiven. Now and forever, your sins are forgiven. Mankind is born under condemnation. So you gotta get, So the gospel, if you want to, if those watching and you want to know what the gospel is, it's bad news and then it's good news. That's really what it is. The gospel begins with bad news. You go to the doctor and they go, hey man, bad news. Bad news. You got something and it's terminal. What? What? But I'm so glad you're here because I have a solution. Wouldn't that be good news? You'd be happy. Don't worry. It's terminal, but I have a solution. Mankind is born under condemnation. We're born not in sin. We're born under sin and we're born with sin. And all have sinned. What the Bible says is sin is separation. So sin is separation from God. In a simplistic way. And sin is condemnation. All we have sheep have gone astray. Each one of us to our own way. And the Lord has laid upon him. This is speaking of Jesus. The iniquity of the price for us all. All of us are born by sin. All of us are born in sin. All of us. Mankind is condemned at birth. There's nothing we have done to sin to cause a condemnation. We are born condemned. That's why you must be. Come on. Born Again, you are born condemned. You didn't just smoke, drink, and chew and hang out with those that do, and suddenly you're, 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 you're going to hell. You're born that way. We're all born. That's why Christ came. All of us are born with sin. All of us have sin. Sin is what separates us. But Jesus applies a higher law, the law of sacrifice. 
So the law of the spirit, the way the world works, or the way that the universe has been framed is the law of justice. We've sinned against God. We've separated ourselves from God. We have acted in rebellion against God. Our ancestors did it all the way back to Adam, and you've done it. We've all sinned. Anybody lied? So we know you're a liar, so anything that comes forward from this moment on is now questionable. We've all sinned. People go, well, I haven't murdered. The, the law of God says if you're guilty of one part, you're guilty of the whole. Uh-huh. This is where Paul became a Christian. You're guilty of the part, you're guilty of the whole. Paul said there were 600 laws of the Pharisees. God gave 10 just to show us that we're sinners. God never gave 10 commandments to keep them. And do you know why? Because it's impossible. It's impossible. You can't do it. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and spirit. You cannot do that without the Holy Spirit. Right? Honor your father and mother that it may be well with you. Anybody, any, anybody got teenagers here? Anybody been a teenager? Guarantee you, you cannot honor your father and mother without it. Honor the Lord. Make no, uh, well, I'm going to go through them, through them all. But commit, no, don't commit adultery. People say, well, I've never committed adultery. If you ever lusted after someone in your heart, you've committed adultery. Ouch. Don't tell me you didn't do that. I already know you're a liar. Then the Bible says, don't covet. This is where Paul went down. That's the last one. Don't covet. And what Paul realized was that the law was not external. The law was internal. And he realized that he could not keep the... the, the, He was keeping all of the commandments. So Paul was keeping all the commandments. He may have lusted after a woman, but he had never committed adultery. He may have lusted after someone else's goods, but he never stole those goods. Right? Right? He may have told lies, but he never really bore false witness. And Jesus said, it's not just about bearing false witness. It's about lying. Because they, they put it in the framework of bearing false witness. But you could tell lies as long as it, you know, they, they allowed that. Jesus said, that's not right. It's, it's, it's lies. They said, well, I never committed adultery. And he said, if you lusted, and we all go down with that one. That ship's gone down with all of us, man. We're all going down on that. The law was given to show us that we are sinful. The law is the righteousness of God. The Bible says, by the knowledge of sin, men return. Men come back, men come to Christ. The, law, the knowledge of sin comes through the law. And the, the law is a schoolmaster to lead us to Jesus. The law is a mirror to show you you're not right with God, nor can you ever be. And there's no amount of externals that will ever make you right with God. When Paul, when Paul was condemned, he said, when I saw that coveting was the sin and I saw that I could not keep myself from coveting, you cannot keep yourself in the flesh from coveting. You lust and want what others have and you're willing to take it, even though you may not physically do it, but there's something in you where you would take it if you could. There's some area of your life where you could, where you would. We all act pious and righteous, but we're all condemned. And Paul was able to keep 600 external laws, but he couldn't, well, 599, but he couldn't keep that one. And he realized, I'm, I'm, I'm in trouble. And he writes in Romans, who will deliver me from this body of death? He writes in Romans 7, who will deliver me? And he said, I thank God through Jesus Christ. We are born in sin. We are born with a sin nature. And we need to be born again. And we need to be given a new nature. That's the facts. Jesus came as us, paid the price for us. He applied the higher law, the law of sacrifice. Jesus, the Bible says this, he who knew no sin, that's Christ. Jesus came sinlessly into the world. He became sin for us. So on the cross, he took the payment of sin upon himself. 
That's why it was dark for three hours. From the third hour to the sixth hour, the sky was dark. Why? Judgment of God was laid upon him. The sins of the world were laid upon him. When the sins of the world were laid upon him, he said, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, my God, my God, where have I, why have you forsaken me? There's a huge part of that, man. God's name in Hebrew is Elohim. Jesus didn't call Elohim. He called Eloi. Because he is God. So he wasn't calling on Elohim. The, uni- the, the, the Elohim is plural. Father, Son, and Spirit. Well, he's part of the Elohim. And so the Hebrew literally says, and it's in, in the Greek, that when Christ was calling on to God, he was calling Eloi. The singular form of God. And that's why it's translated Father, Father. But in Hebrew, it's Eloi. Interesting. And what happened when the sin was laid upon him, because sin cannot be in God's presence, he was separated for a brief moment in time. He experienced what you and I experienced before Christ. Separation. Sin separates us. We're born with it. We have to be born again. If you're out there and you've never done that, you need to be born again. Jesus became sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Sin requires a payment. So I tell people, sin's going to require a payment. The Bible says wages. <laughs> you can pay it. Or you can let Jesus pay it. And I can tell you, you don't want to pay it. Sin is not a price you want to pay. You can receive the payment of sin for yourself and think you're not going to have to do it. And you will. Or you can receive the fact that Christ has died for you and paid it once and for all. And he offers it to you. He offers it to you. This is the best news I could give you this morning. We're going to pray and give you an opportunity to receive Jesus. When I was putting this together, this was kind of the first thing I was sharing, and I was going to move this part of the message to the back part of the of the uh, this part of the message to the back part of the sermon. And I felt like the Lord said, "No, put it on the front end." And so we're going to talk about Jesus and getting born again. And I'm going to give you an opportunity here in just a couple minutes to become born again. Sin requires a payment, and, you must, and it must be paid. People go, when I die, I'm going to go to heaven and I'm going to be a good person. And God's going to look at me and go, oh, you were a good person. Come into heaven. Good people don't go to heaven. Bad people don't go to hell. Saved people go to heaven. Unsaved people go to hell. That's an inconvenient truth in a world that doesn't want to address it. But it's very, very real. Very real. I got news for people. Jesus talked more about hell than anybody else in the entire Bible. The son, you realize that you ever think about that for a second? The son of God himself spoke of hell more than anybody else ever spoke of it. Why? Because he knows it's real. This wasn't a myth to him. This is a reality. He knows it's real. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptance that Jesus Christ came to save sinners. That's you. If you've never received Christ, you need to receive him. He's paid a payment for you that you cannot pay. He's done something for you that there is nothing in your life that you could ever do to pay that payment. He's done it already. You say, well, what are the conditions? Number one is acknowledge you need it. All have sinned. We all sinned. We're all separated. Well, I'm a less sinner than you. At least I didn't do that. We're all sinners. All of us. There is none righteous. No, not one. None. So it says acknowledge that you need it. The second thing is, is that you believe in your heart. And you confess with your mouth. So in order to receive the payment that Jesus has given you, you have to believe it in your heart. You have to know I'm separated. Not in your head, but in your heart. And you have to say it with your mouth. That's all he's asking for. He's done all the heavy lifting. And so we're going to do a brief prayer here this morning. And we're going to keep going. But I want to give you an opportunity to receive Jesus. If you've never received Christ, you are hopeless. 
You are helpless and you cannot save yourself. And so it's as simple, it's much as a prayer way. Jesus said, I stand at the door and knock. If you'll open your heart to me, I'll come inside. I'll come inside. The Bible says, if anyone is in, new, in Christ, they're a new creation. All things have passed away and all things become new. New hope, new future, new identity, sins forgiven. Eternal, eternity is yours. So let's just pray. Let's pray. I want you guys out there, I want you to pray. This is your moment. There's hesitancy. I know there's hesitancy. If you've never received Christ, the people who've never received Christ are the most hesitant to do it. Because everything in you is screaming not to. And there's only one quiet voice in you that tells you that you need it. And I'm here to tell you as a second voice to tell you that you do. I'm here to affirm that. Let's just pray. Just say, dear Jesus, I believe that you are a savior. You are the savior. And I need a savior. I acknowledge that I am hopeless and helpless without you. And I cannot save myself. I may not understand all of this, but I choose to believe it. And so I open my heart to you, Jesus. And I ask you to come inside. I ask you to forgive me. I ask you to heal me. I ask you to restore me. And I ask you to repurpose my life. All that I am, I give to you. And all that you are, I receive as mine. From this day forward. I choose to follow you in Jesus' name. If you prayed that prayer, man, we are so excited for you. The Bible says the angels in heaven celebrate. It's why Jesus came. He came for you. And so now let's just talk a little bit about what we have as Christians. The second thing is you have Jesus as the final authority. If you're born again, nothing can separate you from the love of Christ. Romans 8.35 says, Who will separate us from the love of Christ in Christ Jesus? Tribulation, distress, COVID, persecution, famine, nakedness, peril, sword. For I am persuaded that neither death nor life, nor angels or principalities, that would be demons, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love that we have in Christ Jesus. You are loved. You are eternally loved. God loves the whole world, but he really loves those who have received his, his, his offer. He really loves them. When the Bible says that you are loved by God, it's the Greek word agapeo. Nothing can say it with me. Nothing can separate me from agapeo. Right? What does agapeo mean? Agapeo means a love that actively seeks the highest good in your life. So when God says he loves you and nothing's going to separate you from that love, what he's saying is nothing is going to separate us from God actively working for our highest good in our life. Nothing will separate you from God actively working for your good in your life. Nothing. Nothing. That's why people, when they come to Christ, it's, how did they even get there? How are you even watching a message if you didn't know the Lord before that prayer? Because God was actively working for your highest good. Actively pushing you to a place where you needed to hear the very thing you needed to hear. God is actively working, not just in the, in the world's life to come to Christ, but he's actively working in the Christian's life. Nothing can separate you from that. Do you believe it? I have two. Do you believe it? All right. Number three, this is all from Romans 8. Say this with me. My future victory is greater than my present pain. That's right. Your future victory is greater than your present pain. Romans 8, 6, 8, 18 says this, I consider the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which will be revealed in us. 
the things that you're going through right now, the Bible says is producing glory. That's what it does. The intention of God's heart in your life is to create glory in your life. Glory in the Hebrew is the word kavod and it means weight, substance. God wants to create you into a person of substance. He wants to create your life into something that's meaningful. And he wants to put glory on your life. And the only way that he can put glory on your life is through what? Stress tests. He has to see how much weight can your life bear? How much? How much glory can I give this person? How much character can I give this person? You ever hear the words, whatever doesn't kill me makes me stronger? Because there's something about our nature that, God, our, that we're able to become stronger if we will endure certain things. And if that's, if that's possible for people who don't know Christ, how much more possible is it for those who do? This present time is an examination for your future. There are people that have been believing God for things. You've been wanting things. You've been hungry for things. You've been longing for things. You're, there's things in your heart that God wants to give you. Anybody needs to examine you first. Right? Everybody wants a PhD, but you don't get a PhD unless you're examined. You don't graduate high school unless you're examined, right? You have to be tested. You have to be examined in order to go to the next level. There has to be an examination. God is using the circumstances right now to examine people's lives. Our faith and our faithfulness is being tested. I'm telling you now, he's examining his churches. I'm telling you that right now. You don't believe it? Romans, or Revelation says, I am he who walks in the midst of my lampstands. What does that mean? I walk among my churches. The lampstands in that context, that prophetic context, is the churches. I am he who holds the seven stars in my right hand. And I am he who walks in the midst of my lampstands. And then he goes on to examine churches. He's examining churches right now. He's examining the faithfulness of the pulpit. He's examining the faithfulness of the mission. He's examining the faithfulness of those of whom he's entrusted to speak his name. He's examining them. I'm telling you now. And what he's examining them to do is for future use. He's going to see who's usable and who's not. Not because they're usable or not effective in a culture, but God has a mission, a plan, a mandate. There's something I believe that this whole circumstance, out of this circumstance, God is going to bring something intentional I believe that within the next 10 years, God is going to bring something intentional. There's going to be a move of God in the earth that's never been seen. But it's only going to happen if God can find faithful witnesses in the earth. If he can find faithful people in the earth. I searched the world and I tried to find someone who would be standing in the gap. But I found none. What did he say? I'm looking to see if anyone will stand in the gap so that I could what? Spare the land. That's the language. But I looked and I found none. None. Could it be? God is looking now for people who will stand in the land. God is looking now for people who will express hope, who will express faith. I'm telling you, he is. This world is an examination for your future. This world is, an ex- this world is a training ground for eternity. And this present time is, a, is an examination for what God intends to give you f- in the future. He can't give you things if it will destroy you. If you can't handle money, more money will destroy you. If you're reckless with money and you need money and you keep asking God to give you money and give you success and you are so reckless with it, how in the world is he going to give you anything when, he, when it's going to destroy you? It's only going to make it worse. If you're not faithful with little, you can't be entrusted with much. It's the same thing. We have to prove a faithfulness and we have to have a hope. Here's, the la- here's another hope. All things are yours. You should have hope. You should be encouraged. Say it. God is withholding nothing from me. 
He's not. He's withholding nothing. No good thing will he withhold from those who walk uprightly. Isn't that what he said? No good thing. I'm not withholding anything. He who did not spare his son but delivered us up, delivered him up for us all, how will he not now surely, freely give us all things? All things. What's all things? All things. What is it that you want? I tell you guys all the time, like the reason that God, you can't get the things God wants for you is you have no idea what you want. People go, I want a million dollars. I go, yeah, what for? Why? Why do you want a million dollars? So I don't have any problems. Okay. I want a million dollars so that nobody can touch me. Okay. I want a million dollars so that I never have to work again. Okay. None of those things line up with heaven's vision. None of them. They're all self-centered and narcissistic. That's the problem. We have to walk uprightly before the Lord. We have to want the things that he wants to give us for the reason he wants to give them. Deuteronomy 8.18. We talk about money. Why do we talk about money? Because you know why? Money is relative to all of you. You're not eating without money. You're not driving your car without money. My car's paid off. You're not putting gas in your car without money. <laughs> Money's relative to all of us. Deuteronomy 8.18. The Bible says the, the Lord your God has given you the power to obtain wealth. Every believer is supernaturally endowed to generate income. Supernaturally. I'm not just talking naturally. I'm talking supernaturally. And it, that, that is by divine favor. The believer is given an ability to generate an income and the believer is given an ability to operate in a level of favor that other people are not. You, the bread is for the children. This is what the Bible says. And Deuteronomy 8.18 says, The Lord your God has given you the power to obtain wealth so that you may establish His covenant in the land. He's not giving you money just for money. He's not giving you money so that you can be superior to everyone and look down your noses at everybody. He's giving you money so that, yes, you can participate in the blessing, but that you would be actively faithful in funding and fulfilling his purposes. All things belong to you. All things are yours. This is an absolute fact. The problem is not that that, that's not true. The problem is there's a misalignment, there's a bad attitude, or there's a poor line of thinking that's associated with that, and that's why it doesn't come. Therefore, let no one boast in, boast, boast in men. This is 1 Corinthians 3.21. In other words, don't boast in natural things. For everything belongs to you. Don't be jealous of each other. That's what Christ is saying. That's what Paul's saying here. They're all being jealous. They're all being contentious. Well, I'm, I'm of a Paul, and I'm of Apollos, and I'm of Cephas. And Paul's telling him, do, do any of these guys matter? Jesus is the one that matters. Well, I'm a Democrat. I'm a Republican. I'm a Libertarian. I'm a, I don't care. Did, it, did the Democrat die for you? Did a Republican die for you? Did a Libertarian die for you? It's meaningless in the face of Christ. We are called to unify and not divide. We don't agree on politics. I get it. We don't agree on social plans. I get it. But we need to agree on Jesus. We need to agree on his presence. We need to agree on his word. We need to agree on that. Everything else can fall by the wayside. So Paul's like, forget about all these things because everything belongs to you. This tells us this over and over again. The things of this world, the things of life. So what are all things? He's telling you. The things of the world, the things of life, the things of death, the things that are now, and the things that are to come. Every single thing is yours. That's in this world and the one to come. That's what Paul's saying. All things are yours. Everything. Belongs to you. Even in death, you say, what's death? You have the victory. The victory over death belongs to you. Death, where is your sting? Grave, where is your victory? The grave has been swallowed up in victory. It's yours. 
The unbeliever doesn't get to experience that, but the believer gets to experience the victory over, over death. What a day. And you belong to Christ, and Christ belongs to the Father. All things are yours. Get happy. You say with me, I have not because I ask not. Or say this, I ask amiss. So James is telling us, he's telling us the key. You don't have it because you're not asking him for it. And if, you, and if you're asking him for it, then the motive by which you're asking is not aligning with heaven's motive. You say, well, I'm asking him and it's not coming. Well, are you doing the things that relate to what he said? And are you aligning with the right attitude, the heart and motive? People tell me they want to be in ministry and they can't even show up in church. Like, how in the world, bro, are you going to be in ministry? You can't even, you can't even attend a church regularly. Well, I attend the universal church. I just jump around from church to church. I've had so many guys tell me that over the years. And I tell them, God will never use you. He will never in a million years use you. I didn't say you couldn't have some measure, but you're never going to be used. You must commit and connect to a church or everything flows from that. Oh, you don't know what you're talking about. No, you have vulnerability issues. You don't want to be known. You don't want people to know you. You want everybody to be impressed by you, but you're not willing to be known. God will never use you. He'll never use you. Some of these guys, 10, 15 years later, still the same. If you cannot commit and connect and belong faithfully to a house, God will never use you. He will never use you. If you cannot be faithful in what is another's, he will never give you your own. Some of you, you want to be a business. You want to be an entrepreneur. You want to be successful. But you will not be faithful to the boss that you're under right now. As a believer, you need to understand you will never be entrusted with that which is your own until you are faithful with what is another's. Yeah, you have to be faithful where you're at. Say, I don't like my boss. doesn't matter. Be faithful. That's part of the examination. Believe God for something more. He will give it to you, but you've got to pass the test. And you will never be given it in, in God's eyes if you are not faithful with that which belongs to someone else. Number five, you have the mind of Christ. You have access to heavenly wisdom. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on that. We talk about that a lot here. You have access to the Spirit. You need wisdom. You need clarity. You need a vision. You have it in the Spirit. Number six, God is for you. Eight reasons from the Romans chapter eight <laughs> on why you should be happy. And why you should be joyful. And why you should have a positive attitude. God's for you. What shall we say to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? COVID's against you. Doesn't matter. Jesus is for you. Sorrow endures for a night, but joy comes in the morning. It's true. Didn't Steve, the Lord never said there wouldn't be pain. But he said, from the ashes, I will give beauty. God will give beauty for ashes. He will give light for darkness. Thank you. I got a witness in the room. This is good. (laughs) Do you know that? Be positive. Say it looks hopeless. Then go find hope. Look for hope. Number seven, the Holy Spirit will help you in your weakness. You're not alone. That's good news. You're not alone. Say, I can't do it. I'm too weak. Good news. The Holy Spirit is there to help you. The most neglected part of our faith is not the Bible. It's not prayer. We actually pray more than we encounter the Holy Spirit. So people say, well, prayer is very neglected in the church. Yeah, true. Reading of the word is very neglected among Christians' life. Yeah, true. But I'll tell you what's the most neglected. The encounter and the presence and the atmosphere and the communion with the Holy Spirit. That is far and away 
the most neglected part of the Christian's faith. It's not the word. It's not prayer. You're here this morning. You're getting word. We prayed. You're getting word and prayer this morning. We even bring you into an encounter. So we, we give it all to you. We're going to give you an encounter of the Holy Spirit. We're going to give you some word. We're going to give you the, you know, you're going to get it all. The Holy Spirit's there to help you. And the enemy tries to isolate you from the source of help through attitudes, mindsets, misunderstandings. And we don't understand the Holy Spirit. We don't understand. That's why we help. We help you here. We help you to, show, to help you understand what it means to commune with the Holy Spirit. We have schools here. We have teachings here to help you endeavor and delve deeply into, your, into the Holy Spirit. It's amazing to me. Jesus says to me, hey, look, it's really cool that I'm here with you guys, but I have something better for you. Right? I do not know if I was a disciple, what could be better than being with Jesus? Right? I mean, it would be like a literal party every day. Oons, oons, oons. What's he going to do today? I don't know. Maybe we're going to raise some dead. You know, is he going to tell off those religious leaders? He might, you know. You need bread? He makes it. Right? You hungry? You need food? You need money? Lord, we don't have any money. Go down to the water. A fish is going to come up and put coin in your mouth. What? Cha-ching? <laughs> I'd be like, I wonder how many times I can... Come on, come on, come on. You know? I mean, he would be amazing to be around. Handy. There's a funeral. This is, I love this. There was not one funeral that Jesus didn't encounter that he didn't raise the dead. Not one. Not one. He, never, he passed by many sick people, but every time he saw somebody dead, he's like, get out of the way. Talitha Kumai. Lazarus come forth. Every time. Raise the dead because he is the resurrection and the life. He'll resurrect you. There's nothing dead in your life that if you will let him pass by, he won't raise. There is not one area of your life, your finances, your emotions, your past, your future. I don't care what it is. There's not one area of your life that if you will let Jesus pass by it, he will not raise it. He will raise it. The Holy Spirit is given to you to help in your weaknesses. One of the words, and he has many, but one of the words for the Holy Spirit is parakletos. It means alongside to help. Ready? It's actually a very similar word for the word that's given to woman. Because it's an orbiting strength. So when the Bible says in the Hebrew that the wife is given to the man, it's the word ezer kenedigo. And it means an orbiting strength. Right? Guys, you always wondered why she's just flying around you. <laughs> Something's always got to get done, you know. Like, what's going on? Orbiting strength is what, when it says helper in the Hebrew, it's very important to know. It doesn't mean helper, like, hey, go make me a sandwich. You know, take my shoes off when I get home. Make sure the laundry's done. You're my helper. It's not what he's saying. The Hebrew is Ezer Kenedgo, and it means orbiting strength. The woman was created as a strength that orbits. Isn't that amazing? The Holy Spirit is parakletos, very similar language. That's why your wives often sound like the Holy Spirit. I tell people, it's uncanny. Sherry will tell me something and I'll be like, is that the Holy Spirit telling me that? I don't even know. It's uncanny. Parakletos, which means he comes to you. Para, which means around. Kletos means joined. So he is moving around you and he is joined to you. Parakletos. He is in you. Yes, this is true. The Greek word en, he is in you. He comes upon you. Yes, this is true. That's the power that we're experiencing this morning. When you feel the power come upon you, that's the word epi. That's another facet of the Holy Spirit. He is in you, he is on you, and he is around you. 
The Holy Spirit is, a 3D, is the three-dimensional God in our present time. And we neglect Him. We neglect Him. We don't commune with Him. We don't talk to Him. We don't know how to interact with Him. We're completely ignorant of Him. We're afraid of Him. Oh my gosh, I don't want something weird to happen. I don't want to go too far, I hear people say. You know, and I tell them, don't worry. You haven't gone nearly far enough. Most Christians are never in danger of going too far with the Holy Spirit. Ever. You could spend a lifetime and you wouldn't go too far with Him. But the Holy Spirit will help you in your weakness. He will give you wisdom. He will give you strength. He will give you power. He will give you comfort. He will give you peace. He'll give you, I'll give you another one. He'll give you temperance. The Bible says you will not know what to say. But in that hour, you will know. You will, he will tell you how to talk. The Holy Spirit will literally temper your speech if you'll let him. You ever tried that? Holy Spirit, help me out right now because I'm about to blast this person. I practice it. I know. I live this stuff. <laughs> I have learned many of many a mistake in my life has been of a, because of the neglect of the Spirit of God in my life. That's why I neglected him for too many years. Too many years because I had it taught out of me. Born in the faith by the Spirit. It was with churches that basically taught it out. It taught him out of me. Oh, they acknowledged him. They acknowledged him. They talked about the Holy Spirit, but never saw any, no activation of his presence. No power, no exchange, no, how to, no relationship development with the Spirit of God. Just a lot of talk about him. And so when I came back around to where I was in the beginning, every week, Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit. So Jesus being the handy guy that he is being around says, I got something better for you. It is to your benefit that I go. For if I do not go, the Spirit of God will not come to you. But if I go, then the Spirit will come to you. Holy Spirit's better, his presence is better than Jesus, 100%. All manner of blasphemy against the Father will be forgiven. All manner of blasphemy against the Son will be forgiven. But blasphemy against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven. Well, what does that mean? That means a lot of things. Well, one of the things it means is the witness upon the heart. When the Holy Spirit is moving upon your heart, when the message of salvation is given, and the Spirit is bearing witness with your heart to tell you you need this, that is an act of grace. God does not have to reach for you, but He is. And so in His grace, He's reaching for you, and He's witnessing in your heart to tell you you need to give your life to Christ, and you profane it by turning away from it. That's blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. If you die in that condition, you're lost. Doesn't mean, oh, I didn't accept Jesus. I blasphemed the Holy Spirit. No, you didn't. I know, we got communion. I'm on a roll here, Shelly. But that's, that's what it means. We blaspheme the Holy Spirit in our churches. We profane Him. Doesn't mean you're condemned. When you call the work of God the work of the devil, you have profaned the Spirit of God. When we say healing is not of God and healing is of the devil, you're profaning the Holy Spirit. The devil's not anti-Jesus, he's anti-Christ. And so when churches oppose the anointing, you are partnering with demonic. Oh, the demons are in the church, they're prophesying. No, the demons are in the church when the church is not prophesying. The devil's not anti-Jesus, the devil's anti-Christ. Christ is the anointing. The devil resists the anointing because it is the power that moves him out of the way. It is the unconquerable power and the gift of unconquerable power given to every believer. And it comes through the Holy Spirit. comes with the anointing. The atmosphere and the presence of the Holy Spirit. I dare you. 
When you're in the atmosphere of the Holy Spirit and you're in the presence of the Holy Spirit, don't lean away, lean in. Come into fullness. Let Him move. The atmosphere. Some, you know, Sunday morning's a great morning. We create the atmosphere. We don't lean away. We lean in. The atmosphere's here. In that atmosphere, begin to tap into the Holy Spirit. Lord, I got stuff coming up this week. I need your wisdom. Lord, I got stuff coming up this, 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 in the next month. Whatever it is that you're needing, He's there to give you what is rightfully yours. Your inheritance. Wisdom's your inheritance. Blessings, your inheritance. Peace is your inheritance. Restoration's your inheritance. It belongs to you. Christ died to give it to you. And how do you get your inheritance? Through the Holy Spirit. Through the anointing. Just a thought. The Holy Spirit will help you in your weakness. In Romans 8, 26. says exactly what I just said. Likewise, the Spirit of God helps you in your weakness. Lastly, Jesus will not allow you to fail. Somebody needs to get happy here. Why don't you say this with me? Jesus will not allow me to fail. How do you know this? Because he says so. Romans 8, 28. We know that all things work together for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. There's nothing that God cannot or will not use in your life to turn about for something good. Nothing. God will turn the worst of circumstances into the best of circumstances if you will follow his purposes. If you will follow Jesus and you will commit to him and you will live your life towards him, he will not allow you to fail. You Anybody know this? Jesus has never lost. Do you know that? There's not a battle he didn't lose. He took on hell itself, got down on both hands, got down on his knees, both knees, put his hands behind his back and a blindfold on his head, and he still won. He still won. Somebody said Jesus could win with a pair of twos. That's right. He can win with a pair of twos. He is an unconquerable God. You were born of an unconquerable God. What disqualifies you is quitting. Galatians 6, 9. Do not be weary in well-doing, for in due season you will reap. You will achieve. You will have what you have been reaching for if you don't quit. Quitting is not an option. Change is. You can change, but don't quit. God is not happy with us when we quit. He wants us to persevere. He wants us to keep going. Change the things that we need to change. Examine it. Say, this isn't working. Try something else. Then the Bible says this at Romans 8.37. In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. You are more than a conqueror. Isn't that crazy? Who are you? Sons and daughters. You're a conqueror. You can overcome. It's a testimony of the Christian. Is we're constantly overcome. Constantly overcoming. Things that are meant to destroy us, we come back. For every setback, Jesus has a comeback. <laughs> so I've been set back. Well, then ask Jesus where the comeback is. Because every time there's a setback, Jesus has a comeback. You are more than a conqueror. You cannot lose if you don't, if you, as long as you don't quit. Say this, we'll, we'll just recap. We're going to take communion. Say this, a negative outlook never produces a positive life. You're going to say this, today I make a quality and intentional decision to view my life, my future, and the world around me with positivity and hope. Because... My sins are forgiven. Jesus is the final answer. My future victory is greater than my present pain. I I choose positivity and hope because all things are mine. I have the mind of Christ. God is for me. The Holy Spirit is with me, in me, and will help me. And Jesus will not allow me to fail. You believe that? Amen. All right. Come on.
Those at home, we want to let you know we love you. We're going to end the stream here because we're going to take communion. But we just want to let you know that God loves you. We love you. And we want you to have a wonderful week. Blessings in Jesus' name. Amen.